uh, I'd like to take you back to John and chapter 21. This morning we were looking at the great subject of worship, which is, I think, supremely what God has called us to be, worshippers of him. And that's the work of the church, isn't it? To come together and to delight in God. Uh, as the short catechism puts it, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But this evening, I'd like to think about the mission of the church. Uh, our outreach into the community, the way in which we proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A great desire that we have uh, to, to see other people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we, I like the word mission. You um, might call it evangelism. It's the work of the church, isn't it? The work of the church, not only to know God, but also to make him known to others as well. And if we look at John chapter 21, it might not at first appear to say much about mission, but I want to show you that it does actually say quite a lot to us and to the disciples about their mission in the world. So we're, we're going to the resurrection and this is one of the resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, this is the seventh resurrection appearance of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we need to clarify something because John says this is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. If you follow through the Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you'll discover that there, up to this point, there have already been six appearances of the Lord Jesus. The first, you remember, was right outside the tomb, and that was to Mary Magdalene. You remember that she stood outside the tomb weeping, and she turns around and she sees what she thinks is the gardener, and she says, where have you put him? Where have you put him? I'll go and get him. And the Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, just simply says to her, Mary, and she immediately knows who he is. That's the first appearance of the Lord Jesus to anyone. That devoted disciple, Mary, her love was rewarded by the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to her first. And then the second appearance was the women. Mary wasn't on her own, you see. When she came to the tomb, there were other women with her. Uh, and they were told by the angels to go back to Jerusalem and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And so, obediently, the, the women disciples went back to Jerusalem. And just as Mary's love was rewarded with an appearance of Jesus, their obedience was rewarded with an appearance of Jesus uh, as he appeared to them on their way back to Jerusalem. And then, mysteriously, because we don't know anything about this other than a couple of short statements in the Gospel and in 1 Corinthians, he appeared to Peter on his own, privately. And I'm sure that was a wonderful moment for Peter as the Lord Jesus appeared to him, even after Peter had failed so miserably and denied Jesus so terribly, the Lord Jesus appeared to Peter. And then in the afternoon of the first resurrection day, there were two on the road to Emmaus. You remember that? And the Lord Jesus appeared to them. They didn't recognize him to start with, but then as he broke bread uh, with them in the house, they recognized him and hurried back to Jerusalem. 
The fifth appearance was to all the disciples together in the upper room in Jerusalem that same evening. So five appearances of Jesus on that resurrection day. Five times he appeared, marking that day as the greatest day in the history of the world so far. That day when Jesus rose from the dead, triumphing over death. Five appearances on the, on the first uh, resurrection day. And it's that evening now, and the disciples were all together in the room, and Jesus appeared amongst them. The doors were locked. We had to wait another week until the next appearance, because not all the disciples were there on that first Sunday evening, that resurrection day. Thomas wasn't with them. Don't know why. Mustn't criticise someone that the Bible doesn't criticise. He wasn't there. He missed out. We don't know why that was. Could have been a number of reasons. But the point is he was there the next week. He didn't miss out the next week. Exactly a week later, the following Sunday, the Lord Jesus appeared again to all the disciples together. And Thomas was there as well. And then number seven, appearance number seven is here in John 21. And by now, they have arrived back in Galilee. They've gone back home again now, you see. They stayed down in Jerusalem for a couple of weeks for the festival, the feast, and then they went back to uh, Galilee where they, they had come from, where their home was. So why does John say this was now the third time? John twenty one fourteen. this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. Well, the clue is there. This was the third time he appeared to his disciples. Quite right. To all the disciples. To the disciples as a group. This is the third time that he's appeared. Once on resurrection evening. Second, a week later, Thomas being present with them. Thirdly, this one back there in Galilee. All the other appearances were to either individuals or very small groups, ones or twos. So this is the third time that Jesus has appeared. Now, um, we need to think about two things tonight. First of all, we need to have a look at the details. What actually happened on this appearance of Jesus? What was going on here? We need to just remind ourselves of the details. But then we need to do something else. We need to ask, what does it mean? And I think it's at that point that we can learn some wonderful lessons about our work as a church. So what's the details? Well, they've gone back to Galilee. They've been told to go there because Jesus said he would, he would meet them there. So they've obediently gone back there. And as they're waiting, one day, well, one evening, as the night was falling, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going out to fish. I'm going fishing. Now, he was a fisherman, and several of the other disciples were fishermen. That was where they were when Jesus first called them. And naturally, they've got to earn their money. They've got to feed their families. And so they went back to what they knew. They went back to their job, which was a perfectly right and proper thing for them to do. If we don't know what we should do, we need to do what we know. We need to do what we're used to. And so quite rightly, Peter says, I'm going to fish. And the other disciples says, well, well, we'll come with you. And so there were these seven disciples who go out fishing. 
And we, we're familiar with them. Simon Peter was there. Thomas was there. Again, Thomas is there. He's never going to be missing again, is he? He's learned his lesson. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, he was there as well. This is uh, probably uh, Bartholomew, uh, because in the, in the Gospels he's called Bartholomew. But uh, that's, that just means he's the son of Ptolemy. So that's uh, like who he is. Um, his, so, so his dad was called Ptolemy Bar, Bartholomew. But his other name, Nathaniel, most likely it's him. Sons of Zebedee are there. James and John are there. And uh, there's two other disciples there as well probably philip and andrew but we we don't know their names but most likely it was philip and andrew and off they go in their boat and they go to fish quite right to do that because they're waiting they've not been told to do anything else and it's quite right that they should provide for themselves and their families and so they go out to fish they fish during the night best time to fish so i'm told and uh, early in the morning, there is a figure on the beach, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they don't know who it is. And he calls out to them. Now, we have this word children, don't we, in the, in the uh, ESV. Children. Have you any fish? Have you caught anything? NIV says friends. Do you know, I think the best translation is lads. Because that's the sort of term that Jesus was using. Lads, lads, have you, have you caught anything? Now, the disciples are not sure who it is. So they're a little bit short in their answer. They're not going to reveal too much to this strange figure on the shore. So they simply say no. And then he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they do. And they have an incredible haul of fish. The net is full of fish, a large number of fish, huge number to haul in. Now, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is John. He calls himself that in the gospel all the way through. John is always the first one to understand. He's always the first one to see what's going on and he understands who this is this is jesus this is the lord there's something that has triggered in his mind and his heart that this is jesus we'll, we'll come to that in a minute that's it's jesus he says but just as john is the first one to see something peter is always the first one to act so john sees and peter acts peter puts his uh, coat on, we say outer garment, and he jumps in and he swims for shore or wades for shore. They're about 100 yards out so that he can get to the beach to see Jesus. I think that fact is quite important for us to just pause a moment, press a pause button on the sermon a minute and say, now look, we're all different. Some of us are like John and some of us are like Peter. Some of us are thinkers some of us are those who understand and, and who see things and are quieter. And then others are more action men and action women and want to get on with things. And in the church, we're going to have all sorts of different people. That's just two examples of the differences in personality. John and Peter, in many ways, 
were like chalk and cheese in the way that they behave. John is more measured and thoughtful and controlled and careful. And Peter is impetuous and he just wants to get on with it. Let's do it. And you'll find in, in your church life as you meet one another that these are different types of people in the church. And we need one another. And we need to have great understanding of one another and not try to make other people like us. If someone is more thoughtful and considering and pondering, well, we need to understand that and say, well, yeah, there's a place in the church for people like that. And if people are more action, let's get on with it. Well, we appreciate that. But you don't try to make people like yourself so that we're not all one, are we? Peter and John went on to work together wonderfully in the book of Acts. We find them together uh, all the time. The Lord enable them to do much work together, even though they're so different. But John saw, Peter acted, and then uh, when they eventually get to shore, they discover this little fire already burning. And there's already some bread on there, and there's already some fish. Where did that come from? Jesus. Jesus got the fish. Jesus got the bread. Where did he get it from? We don't know, not told. But Jesus already had some fish, and he already had some bread, and it's it's there. He's he's cooking the breakfast on the on the on the um, on the beach. Beautiful. And then he says, "Come and bring some of your fish, and add it to mine." Now they don't start breakfast before they've counted the fish. Now I'm not a fisherman, but I know that one of the big issues is how many you've caught, and so they count every one of them, and it comes to one hundred and fifty. Three. They're really precise. They don't say, oh, we've got about 150 fish. No, we had 153 fish. And these are large fish as well. Uh, and the net's not torn. That's quite significant. And then Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. And Jesus takes the bread and the fish and he gives it to them. And uh, John says, that's the third time he appeared. So that's the details. And what wonderful details. It's one of the, it, this is one of the occasions where you think, I would just love to have been there. Love to have been there on that occasion, on that beach, uh, having breakfast with the Lord Jesus risen from the dead. But here's the next thing we've got to think about tonight. What does it mean? You might say, well, it doesn't mean anything, does it? Other than the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And there are some people who say, well, actually, we mustn't press this too far. It's a miracle. It's a, it's a miracle of the catch of fish and it's just Jesus saying, I care about you, I care about your disciples, I care about the fact that you haven't caught anything, I care about your work, I care about you and I love you and even though I'm risen from the dead, I'm still looking after you and I want you to share with me in having some breakfast and having fellowship with me, the risen Lord Jesus. So some people say, well, that's really all it is. But... I don't think so. I don't think so. How was it that John knew that was Jesus? What was it that clicked in his mind to say, hold on, I've been here before. There's something that this is all reminding me of. I know who that is on the shore. He was still too far away to see Jesus. 
He couldn't make him out. But there was something about that huge catch of fish that triggered in John's mind something that was familiar. And it does for us as well. Do you find that when you're reading the Bible and you're, you're going through it and suddenly your, your Bible cogs are starting to move in your brain. You're saying, hang on a minute. Hold on. I've read something like this before. Well, you're quite right. You have, haven't you? Three years before this, right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, at the beginning when he called those disciples to follow him, a very, very similar thing happened. Luke tells us about it in Luke chapter 5. This is the second time that they've been in this situation where they've not been able to catch anything all night. And Jesus tells them to put the nets down and they catch something. Let's have a look at that one. This is Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verse 4. When he, that's Jesus, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. So we've got these two occasions. And there's a lot of things that are very similar. Let's think about the things that are similar. And then we'll think about the things that are different. First of all, what is similar? First of all, they've been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything at all. Second thing that's similar is that Jesus was there. In Luke 5, Jesus is actually in the boat. But in John 21, he's on the shore. But Jesus is there. Third similarity. When they have caught the fish and they drag the nets in, they discover that they've caught a huge number of fish. So that's very similar as well. And they do that, they catch it because Jesus says so. They don't catch anything until Jesus commands it. It's almost that Jesus is commanding the fish to swim into the nets. And he's commanding the disciples to put their nets down. And when that happens, when Jesus speaks the word, then the fish come into the net and they're caught. And then there's something that Jesus says at the end of it. Jesus says in Luke 5, from now on, you will catch men. And in John 21, Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. So that's the similarities. But there are differences, aren't there? The first big difference is that when they put down the nets the first time, three years ago, at the beginning of the ministry, 
the nets break because there are so many fish that the nets begin to break. And not only that, but when they get them into the boats, the boats begin to sink. This time, in our passage, at the end of the three-year ministry of the Lord Jesus, when he's risen from the dead, the nets don't break, even though we're told there are such a large number of fish. And actually, there's a specific number, 153. So that's the massive difference. There at the beginning of the ministry, nets break, fish get out, and, uh, and it's an unspecified huge number. But here, the nets are intact, and the, uh, the fish are counted, and it's 153. So, what does it mean? Well, the Lord Jesus is teaching his disciples some lessons. At the beginning of the ministry of the disciples, the Lord Jesus is saying to them, from now on, you will catch men. From now on, you're going to be fishers of men. Their work from that moment onwards, whilst they're on earth, is to go and catch people for Jesus. They're to go and tell people the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those people are going to be like fish. And those fish will come into the gospel net, so to speak, as they let down the net, as they go into the deep water of the world with all the many, many people around. And remember that the disciples went out into all the world with the, with the gospel. And there's evidence that the disciples traveled all over the place. Uh, Thomas is supposed to possibly have even gone as far as India in order to take the gospel to people. And the other disciples went various places, didn't they, with the good news of Jesus. And they were like fishing, 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 telling people, come, come to Jesus. Come and, and uh, have sins forgiven through faith in his name. And Jesus was saying to them on that occasion, what's it going to be like? Well, he says, it's not going to be easy. There'll be times when you, you don't catch any fish. There are going to be times when it's really, really hard. You will feel like, like Simon Peter felt, that you've, you've worked all night and you've got nothing to show for it at all. And that's what gospel work is like sometimes, isn't it? We feel that we've worked hard, we've done everything that we can, and yet there seems to be so little response to the gospel. We hoped and prayed that there would be many people who would be saved, and yet we've found that sometimes no one has come to some of the events that we've put on. And sometimes no one has been saved, even through the preaching of the gospel and the faithful witness of God's people. It's like we've laboured all night and we've got nothing to show for it. But then there are other times in gospel work where it seems that Jesus speaks. And when he does, people are saved. And there are times in the church's life where God blesses there are times in every church life where God blesses with people being saved and added to the church. And we would long that that would be all the time. But in his wisdom, the Lord Jesus chooses when to say to us, put down your nets there and into the deep and you'll have a catch of fish. And we need to pray that the Lord Jesus will bless the work of the church and that people will be saved, that fish will effectively come into the net. So... That's Jesus saying that's what it's going to be like. What about these nets breaking? Well, I don't think this is fanciful at all. In fact, this interpretation goes back as far as Augustine. And, and I think that he was right in having this interpretation. He was saying 
the nets breaking are very much like the church going through periods of great difficulty and splits and schisms and it feels at times like the whole church is just falling apart and it feels like the ship is sinking there are times of real difficulty in church life aren't there where things are really hard and you think are we going to survive this just as the disciples hauled that net in and saw that it was all torn and fish were escaping and and then he got it onto the boat and the boat seemed to be sinking and it feels like that sometimes in church life because it's hard it's really very hard and Jesus was saying to them look it's not going to be easy work catching men is going to be just as difficult as catching fish you're going to find some fish just sort of get away people come to the church and you really hope that maybe they've been saved and and yet actually they they then disappear and it proves that they're not saved at all that's what fishing for men is like men and women and boys and girls that's what church life is like that's what mission is like it's not an easy thing not an easy thing at all but uh that's what life is. Jesus said that in um, Matthew chapter 13. Um, there's a parable in Matthew 13, parable of the net. Um, if, in case you think this is a bit of a fanciful notion, the miracles of Jesus all mean something, you see, don't they? Look at all the miracles of Jesus. They are wonderful miracles in and of themselves. Each one of them shows that Jesus is the Son of God, but they also say something specific. And this parable helps us to understand the miracle. Matthew 13, 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So on earth, the church is always going to be a mixture. There will always be true believers within the church, but there will be those who maybe appear to be true believers, but in the end, they are not. But that's the church, and it's something that we live with and work with and pray that people will all be saved. But in the end, it is God who knows those who are truly his. So that first great haul of fish in the net in Luke chapter 5 is describing what we sometimes call the church visible or the church militant. Another way of describing us on earth, the church on earth in other words, the church right now, the church that we see and the church that we're part of and through which we are serving the Lord and fighting in this spiritual warfare. And Jesus is there with them in the boat. Don't forget that. Jesus was there in the boat. And Jesus is here with us in the church. He promises to be with us. We can't see him. He's actually physically in heaven. But by his Holy Spirit, he's present with us all the time. And that's a great encouragement for church work, isn't it? So now flip to the end of Jesus' ministry. John 21. What does this mean? What is Jesus describing here? Well, the lesson, the message is in verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And so 
In many ways, we can understand this great hall of fish pointing to the very end of the world when Jesus will come again in glory. And he will say to us, come, come and have breakfast, come and dine, come and share in the marriage supper of the Lamb. A time when the church's work on earth will be finished. And this was a little tiny foretaste of that wonderful day when Jesus will come again in glory and when we shall see him. And on that day, things are going to be slightly different to what they are now. In other words, Jesus here surely is talking us to us about something that we call the church invisible or triumphant. The church as it will be at the end of the age, when all of God's people are gathered together. First of all, we will discover that not one of God's people will be missing on that day. Not one will be missing. Every single person who has believed and trusted in Jesus will be there. Everyone whom God has chosen will be there on that day. The whole church will be gathered and not a single person whom Jesus Christ died to save, not a single person will be missing. I think that's the significance of the 153. It's a specific number, you see. And it's also the significance of the net not breaking because it's the church as God sees it, a perfect church in which those that are within it, this invisible church that we can't see now, but we'll see one day, will contain everybody whom Jesus Christ died to save. Why, why 153? Well, there's been all sorts of fanciful notions about that. Uh, one of the church fathers, Jerome, he said um, that in those days, the disciples only knew of 153 different types of fish. And he's saying, well, this is showing that people will be all different types of people from all over the world and every nation and tribe and tongue, they will all be there on that day because Jesus died to save people from all over the world and from every different type and class of people. Well, it may be, don't know. I think it's more safe just to say that it's a specific number. In other words, everyone whom Jesus died to save will be there on that day. But then Jesus says, Jesus says, come and join in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come and join me. And on that day, it'll be a wonderful day when every believer will see Jesus and when our work on earth will finally be over and we will join in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And um, Jesus said to the disciples, come and bring some of your fish and join them with mine. I wonder if there's a significance in that. Because we do read, don't we, in Revelation and chapter 14 and verse 13. A, a lovely little word. I often use this at the funeral of Christians. And I think it's a really lovely verse. Revelation 14 verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labour for their deeds will follow them. They will rest from their labour, for their deeds will follow them. You know, good deeds are never going to get us into heaven. We know that, don't we? You can't get to heaven by doing good things. But you will never, never get to heaven without good works either. The good works follow our salvation. The good works follow the fact that we are saved by Christ. 
And when we get to heaven, there will be rewards. And there's a sense that we will take with us uh, the results, the fruit of our service for Jesus. Jesus said that even if we give a cup of cold water to somebody in Jesus' name, we will receive a reward. And so whatever we have done, however small it might have seemed for us, it is part of what we will take with us into heaven. And the Lord Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we'll say, well, we didn't do anything. And he'll say, well, actually you did because I saw that you did this and that and the other. And we'll say, well, even if we did all of that, we're still unprofitable servants. And he'll say, no, come and enjoy your reward. Come and have breakfast. So there's those two wonderful occasions, the mission of the church. Right, down, right now, the mission of the church is like Luke 5. From now on, you'll go and catch men. It's not going to be easy. Often you'll feel that the nets are breaking and the ship is sinking, but it's not going to because Jesus is there in the boat. Remember that lovely chorus we sing with children? With Jesus in the boat, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing home. Jesus is in the boat, and so we can be safe and secure. But there will be a day at the end of the world when it's going to be much more like this resurrection appearance. Specific number, Jesus saying, come, come and have breakfast because our work will finally then be over. In a way, that's what keeps us going, isn't it?